We are on ayah number nine in Surah Al-Hujurat, Surah number 49. A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Ar-Rajim, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. وَإِنْ طَائِفَتَانِ مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ اَقْتَتَلُوا فَأَصْلِحُوا بَيْنَهُمَا فَإِنْ بَغَدْ إِحْدَاهُمَا عَلَى الْأُخْرَى فَقَاتِلُوا الَّتِي تَبْغِي حَتَّى تَفِيءَ إِلَى أَمْرِ اللَّهِ فَإِنْ فَاءَتْ فَأَصْلِحُوا بَيْنَهُمَا بِالْعَدْلِ وَأَقْصِطُوا إِنَّ اللَّهَ يُحِبُّ الْمُخْصِطِينَ theme of the surah the adab that we have for the rasul sallallahu how do we behave with the rasul we don't raise our voices higher than his voice then at the time of um, dispute at a time when news comes for the community we should investigate and not act without investigating someone's report. So that was another adab in developing the Muslim community. And here is now the third adab, or the fourth adab of the surah, where we find that human beings, unfortunately, invariably will fight, whether they're Muslim or non-Muslim, Muslims uh, are not angels by birth. So just because you're Muslim doesn't mean to say you will not commit a sin. You are human, so all the human traits you will develop and you will act out those human traits in the community, in society. One of those unfortunate traits is fighting. So the Qur'an being a revelation is accepting the idea that human beings will fight. Should they fight? No. But will they fight? Yes. So the Qur'an now includes the idea that in contingencies, when life now comes into play and you have a fight that breaks out between two individuals, in this case, between two groups and two parties, then what is the mannerism and what is the adab and how to resolve the tension, how to break up the fight and how to make sure there is peace at the end of the day. Okay? So the Quran doesn't want Muslims to hold a kind of very, you know, fantastic uh, impression about Islam that when Muslims are Muslims, they don't fight. That is unrealistic. Why? Because human history is all about fights and wars and killing and homicide and genocide and so on, as you see in the world today. And then, unfortunately, now no one can do anything because the bullies are bullies and they just continue to kill at will. Okay, so there's no better representation of this reality than today. The human beings just kill each other. Whether you kill uh, because you're here in, in the South Side of Chicago, or you kill because you go into uh, elementary school in Texas, 
who you kill because uh, you are now, what do you call it, hmm? um, persecuting Muslims in Kashmir or in China or whatever the Russians are doing in the Ukraine or whatever other people do in the name of, uh, what do you call it, um, taking care of their interests. So, the realistic picture is that human beings will fight. When they fight, what do you do? Now, the ideal, should they fight? No, they should not fight. But they do. So now what's your response to that situation? And so on. So when you teach your children and when you teach people Islam, they say you should not fight. That is the ideal. But what is the reality? The reality is it happens. Unfortunately, and you have fights in the masjid, and you have fights in uh, community places, and you have fights everywhere. So, how do you now deal with this real-life situation where Muslims fight? Unfortunately, sometimes uh, when you get too idealistic and you have conferences about love and this and that, and, and then you miss the point. Um, Love compatibility, that's great, and it's also great in marriage as an ideal. But the truth is that there's no marriage where there's no fight. They fight the most. Now, what happens, alhamdulillah, is that they see it through. They manage. There's sabr, there's patience, and there's resilience. And you see it to the finishing line because you're a good person, you're a Muslim, and so on. But sometimes it doesn't happen that way. So the first thing is to dismiss this Mickey Mouse idea that since Muslims are Muslims, they're perfect human beings and they're angels and they're all immediately going to Jannah. If only that was true, then we wouldn't need to do anything. We'd be very happy. Just sit at home, go to the masjid, do dhikr, and our problems are solved. But this is the real test. So here now... The, 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 the beginning of this ayah is quite uh, incredible. And that is that if two groups of believers, you can see the wording there. If two groups of who? Believers. They're still believers as they're fighting. So because they're fighting does not remove them from Islam, which is another myth. The myth is that you believe Muslims don't fight, which is a total fantasy, and also it is very untruthful. And the second is that if you fight, then you are no longer Muslim, which is also false. If God forbid a Muslim drinks, then because of his drinking, that doesn't mean to say he's no longer Muslim. He's committing a sin. He's a sinner, but he's still a Muslim sinner. He doesn't become non-Muslim by the sin. That's not our aqidah. Mm. So if Muslims commit a kabira, like fighting each other, which is a grave sin, by the way, it's not allowed. When we say Muslims fight, it doesn't mean that we allow it. It's not allowed. It's a sin. It's a categorical sin. It's a kabira. It's a major sin. But if they are believers while they're fighting, then they're still believers after they fight. Right? That's the akhidah that we have according to the Ahlul Sunnah. Iqtatalu is more than fighting, it's killing each other. 
If they're doing this for whatever reason, that they have a difference and they have a dispute and they have an argument, and so now there are two or three scenarios here that this may occur. One is that there are two groups within a Muslim country. Okay, we're underneath a Muslim ruler, you have two groups and they're fighting about something which is not related to the government or to the ruler. Okay, then you see that's a normal case. If God forbid there are two groups, one is pro-government and the other is against the government, then the one who's against the government will be seen as the rebel. They'll be seen as the rebel. They'll be the Baghi, because if you have someone in place who's already a ruler, you do not throw him out because he's not doing what you think he should do. So that group now is now the Baghi, it is the rebel, and for that they should be punished. And they should be punished like rebels once they are caught, and so on. And the other is that you have two Muslim groups fighting in a non-Muslim country. Well, if that happens, then, you know, you're at the, the, the mercy of the country that you're fighting in. Whatever their laws are, those laws will apply. But as an ideal, if this happens and you're in a position to make a difference, then you should seek reform amongst the, the two. You should seek to reform and make a peace for them. Okay, you shouldn't throw oil over the fire. Come to the table of negotiating and you know, understand that through negotiation you can stop them fighting. So that's the ideal here, that another group will come and they will be the third group. They will stop the fight and they will say to both groups, this is not good, it's not in your interest, it's not in the interest of the ummah, that you are fighting and killing each other, you are destroying yourselves, you're shooting yourselves in the foot, and we are here to make sure there's a truce, and there is some agreement where there's a ceasefire, and you do not need to kill anybody anymore. And that's for us, that's the adab of helping Muslims uh, stop fighting. Bainahumah, amongst, between the two. فَإِمْ بَغَدْ إِحْدَاهُمَا and if one then after the truce or the one group is not agreeing to the truce and they continue to fight, then the other one now should fight them. Fight the other group. Fight the group that is rebelling so that they are now uh, no longer in the position to cause more trouble and chaos in the community. Uh, so fight them, the, the, the group that is rebelling, until they come back to the Amr of Allah, which is maintaining peace and tranquility and stability. So these are obviously uh, the political level, sometimes it might be a social thing. Mostly it's political, where you have severe difference of opinion, about how the country is run or not run, or what you should do as a policy or you should not do. And all of this flares up and your tempers fly. The nafs gets the better of you and you start fighting and killing. 
and then obviously the rest is all history, unfortunately. So there should be a group within the Muslim camp that stops the fighting. And if one party is not conceding, then all of you should fight to that party that's not conceding until they stop and they come back to the Amr of Allah and they understand how the Muslim community simply doesn't like fighting. That's the ideal. Now, in between the rules in the books of fiqh, what you do, what you don't do, uh, which this is not the time or the place to discuss those, those are in the books of fiqh. If you want to read them, you may read them, or you can come to Al-Qasim and then do the whole course, and then you'll know what to do, if you want to be peacemakers in the community. You need a lot of knowledge, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. And then if they come back to the Amr of Allah, the command of Allah, meaning that your work is not done simply with the ceasefire. So if you're able to enact a ceasefire between the two groups, you still have to remain at the table to make sure there's no other reason for them to fight. And you negotiate and you settle on something that is agreed upon. So the ceasefire is just first, the first phase. What's the next phase is you negotiate with each party and say, okay, what are your differences? How do you resolve these differences? Can you come to an agreement? Can you compromise? Can you meet each other halfway? Uh, so it's usually in policies, since there is no clear cut evidence to one or the other, and since, uh, you know, most cases, it will be based on ishtihad or your own understanding of how the country should run or how the community should run, etc. Then you have to compromise. There's no strict halal and haram there. Because if it's strict halal and haram, then you have to follow the sharia. You can't, then you don't have a choice because obviously it is haram. And so this is in gray areas. And so there you have to be careful as people who are always commenting. So we have the Monday morning quarterbacks, they call them here, right? Or when you drink coffee at Starbucks and you comment on how you're going to solve the world's problems when you know you can't do anything, especially when you don't know how to do anything, and especially when you have no power whatsoever, you're commenting on how the world should be. Then think carefully before you make a decision that you need to know what to do first and it cannot be explicitly haram if it's haram it's not a gray area it's explicit then you have to go with that and so on but if it's a gray area then discussion is allowed and that's something that muslims must understand in gray areas discussion is allowed negotiating is allowed the qazi is not going to come and say this is the ruling the hakim will the governor He'll have a uh, consortium, he'll have a group, he'll have his cabinet or whoever he appoints to be the peacemaker. He'll have those people and they will discuss and they'll negotiate. And it will not always be concrete, meaning that you can compromise to something which is a lesser solution, at least for the moment. And so, so people get riled up and they become very emotional because they have their opinion. I believe this is the haq. Well, the other party also has the right to say, I believe this is the haqq. And that's where you have to be a diplomat. 
You have to be a true negotiator. You, have, you must learn how to negotiate and see where you can meet each other halfway. Meeting each other halfway is better than not having a resolution. وَالصُّلْحُ خَيْرُ The Quran says. وَالصُّلْحُ خَيْرُ In matters of husband and wife, peace is better, treaty is better than leaving things unresolved. This is at the micro level. At the family level, Allah says, وَالصُّلْحُ خَيْرُ Never mind the community level or the political level. At the political level, you must understand that gray areas are subject to negotiation. If you're going to fight in the gray areas, then you can keep fighting forever because the devil's in the details. So there, you mustn't become the Qadi and you mustn't become the Mufti and you mustn't become the Mushtahid there and say, my opinion is the only opinion and that's the Haq. Because the person on the other side will say, my opinion is the Haq. To heck with you. And then you fight again. So if, if the maqsad al-umuru bi maqasidiha, if the purpose of the negotiation is to come to some kind of settlement, then come to a settlement. Stop fighting. Which means that you will have to concede something. Which means that even if you're right, you still concede something. You don't always have to concede on something that is wrong. Sometimes you have to concede on something that's right. So that the bigger picture of saving the Ummah from uh, Qatl and Fitna and Test and Trial is greater. Well, Fitna to Ashaddu min al-Qatl. Okay. Testing the Ummah is greater than killing the Ummah. Okay. So you must consider your nafs now must be uh, under control. And it's not just your opinion, it's other people's opinions also. Well, now you can have different opinion and have a settlement, have a truce, have a ceasefire, or something like that. So this is now a huge, huge other civilizational value for Muslims when they fight. And invariably they will fight. You can't stop that. The Prophet made three du'as, as you know. One du'a was not accepted. Which was that? This one. The Prophet asked Allah subhanahu Ya Allah, can you make sure my ummah doesn't fight and they don't have ikhtilaf? Allah said, no. I'm not accepting that dua. You understand? That's the reality. That is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has in mind for people in this. It's because it's a a place of test. Uh, This is a place where human beings are tested. That if you don't have the argumentative side of you and you don't you know stand up for your rights and you don't you know defend yourself then you will be as you know bulldozed over so you need that ability to defend yourself at least and come to terms with uh, certain rules of negotiations the rules of compromise uh, understanding that you must think of the best solution for the group not your opinion Okay. Your opinion, if it leads to further disturbance and chaos, is not a good opinion, even though it's haq. So sometimes it's, it's the way you administer haq that is more important than the haq itself. Uh, you then, obviously, you have to learn all of these things in the leadership schools and you know people where people go and train uh, how to negotiate and how to compromise and 
uh, all of that uh, good stuff. But this is as the Surah Hujurat, the adab of the Muslim community. Uh, this adab of uh, making sure you stop the fighting, that is the greatest thing. As Imam uh, Hassan, uh, he, he gave over the Khilafah to Muawiyah because he did not want any more bloodshed in the Ummah. Although he was on the haq, that's al yeah. He didn't want bloodshed. But his position was the haq. And that is a huge sacrifice. And that is what the Prophet Sassim predicted. My God, my son here, he will be the reason for saving so many Muslim lives. So there he compromised on the whole haq. Not just a partial micro haq, it was the whole macro haq. He compromised on it because he knew there would be bloodshed. So all of these rules have to come into place and you should not do it if you don't know. Don't be the jack of all trades and say that I'm going to do this. You can't do it. Because first of all, you don't have a temperament. First of all, you're always in the mood to fight. <laughs> somebody who's always in the mood to fight should not be a negotiator. You need somebody who's calmer to be able to help people understand where they need to come together and compromise and do what's best for the whole community, not just for one group or the other. So this is a, as I said, one of the adab, civilization adab, that uh, this surah is putting forward to us and so on. Then you must help them come to terms with justice, with adal that you're not showing favoritism to one over the other. And then govern with now justice again further. This then will be a further step after establishing the rules of Adal and justice. Then you administer Adal and justice in your iqsat. Indeed Allah loves those people who govern and rule with Adil and Iqsat and Qisp and all of that, where there is no dhulm on either side. So if there's a case that comes to a judge and the judge finds that, never mind the haq, I, I have a solution by which you can negotiate and you can come to terms with each other, known as, you know, settling outside of court, where you're not applying, you know, the letter of the law, you're applying the spirit of the law, which happens all the time in every court system. All of this it always happens that you settle out of court. Why? Because you negotiate, you come into a truce, you come into a mutual understanding. Now the fiqh is on one side and your truce is on the other side. So that's the type of qadi that obviously you need. And that's how uh, we see all the great qudat in our early history. They had this now street smart sense. They weren't just book smart, they were street smart also that they, 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 they knew how to help people compromise where they didn't use the books of fiqh or hadith or quran this is the way it should be okay that's the way it should be unfortunately if they don't compromise then the judge will rule by the letter of the law that's different but here in allah then invariably you will be faced with certain trials in your own lives and invariably you might be called upon to now be a peacemaker in that sense, you must recuse yourself if there's 
uh, you know, a sense of a vested interest, right? There's a conflict of interest. Then you must recuse yourself. If it's your brother or your sister, then you can't be the judge then. You're going to favor the brother or the sister. So you can't be a peacemaker then because you have a vested interest in the whole thing. If he's your friend, if he's your sheikh, if he's your murid, if he's your client, if he's your patient, then you, you cannot be the judge there. You can't be a peacemaker there because you're going to side with the person you are close to. So that's also part of iqsipu. Muqsit. The, the judges have always accused themselves from uh, trials if there was a sense of misappropriation. And so it goes to the ethics of uh, judgeship, ethics of law, ethics of being a peacemaker and peacekeeper, uh, etc. So that is how you always, you always have a third party coming in as an arbitrator or maybe sometimes as a mediator and so on. A universal value that we have, these are based on a universal value. The value there is that indeed believers are brothers. Okay, that is the platform upon which you negotiate. That everybody's equal. All Muslims are equal. And uh, when you rule and judge with equality, then you are a community. If you don't rule and judge, with equality, you're not a community. You're just gangsters, basically. <laughs> you're just warlords. You're a criminal, you're mafia, basically. If you want to be a community, then you need brotherhood, which means that there's no favoritism. Everybody's equal under the law. So that the Prophet said, Lo anna Fatima bint Muhammad yadaha. The Fatima, the daughter of Muhammad, was to steal. I would cut off a hand. That's what equality is. You don't get away with things if you're the ruler and the judge and the peacemaker, that he cannot show favoritism for any reason whatsoever. So in Allah, is that at that level, and that is how the ummah survived as an ummah, because we administered justice to everybody equally. There is no favoritism. Whereas in the tribal system that they were accustomed to, it was all about tribalism. It was never about the haq. And nowadays you have what you have nowadays. Everybody gets away with everything if you're in the good books of the person who is now the judge or the peacemaker or the system that is running the system of justice. So if the system itself is unjust in the first place, you're never going to get justice. Anyway, so that's for us the Hubayn So, as part of your brotherhood, you must make sure there is reform amongst your brothers. Okay, so obviously, the people in the house, you have a family, you have 10 people in the house. Uh, people are going to have differences and they, they're going to hate each other. But as part of your Muslim brotherhood, as part of your civilizational value, you must make sure that you, you are there to help the peace and not to you know, prolong the fight. You know, this is how uh, Islam now sees the idea of uh, justice in the Muslim community, justice in the Muslim society, and so on. What the Allah. And then at the same time, fear of Allah. The fear of Allah here is now in your community affairs. Uh, this taqwa, obviously in halal and haram and food and 
uh, dress and ethics and moral behavior, etc. But there's also taqwa in community affairs, which most people miss. They don't see that the community affairs need taqwa also. So you need to expand your definition of taqwa and include all your community affairs in that. If you're running an institution, if you're running uh, whatever it is that you're running, and you're running what you call it, community service organizations, then your taqwa must appear there also. Not that it has to be one-sided or so on. So that is not what taqullah fear Allah, the taqwa there, is to make sure you appropriate and you do your job in the best way possible. لَعَلَّكُمْ تُرْحَمُونَ So that uh, there is raham upon you. That raham comes upon you. The raham there is the akhuwa. The raham there is the islah. The raham there is the ability to live together uh, despite your differences. The idea that everybody should have the same opinion, that is ludicrous. Right? You can't have the same opinion. It's not possible, except in your aqaid and everything that is now necessary for your najat and salvation, that's fine. Then, obviously, you need a monolithic understanding of the truth. That's in your aqidah and your najat and salvation. But as far as everyday living, you have three kids and one kid doesn't want spaghetti and the other kid doesn't want burger and the third kid doesn't want chicken. How are you going to keep the peace? You can't force the kid, no, you're going to eat this. You can, you're going to have a lot of fights. <laughs> You'll be very miserable, and you should be, because you don't know how to handle the situation. You're the idiot for not being able to handle them. Uh, you can't enforce something which is not supposed to be enforced in the first place. And you know, when you want a raham, that Allah shows raham to the community, you have to be able to live with differences of opinion. And that is one of the greatest beauties and, I would say, accomplishments of the traditional Muslim community and society and civilization, where we not only tolerated differences, we celebrated differences. Especially in fiqh, for Madahib and the others, whoever came. We never said to anybody that you cannot be a, a Shafi or Hanani or Maliki or Hanbali. It is what it is. Uh, as long as you follow the sunnah, then you're okay, mashallah. So what I'm saying is that we celebrate differences. The idea is that you must not break uh, the ummah through your differences. So when there's a time to come together and be united for a bigger reason than your madhab, then you should do so. That's also another adab. And so, right. so now in terms of warfare and fight, military expeditions, you need to follow the leader and the commander. The commander must make sure that even though people disagree with his uh, strategy or his plan or his tactics or you know, his ideology, you must come together under the Amir. But the Amir must understand that there are differences of opinion and he must be able to negotiate that. That shows your ability to lead. You're not a leader if you can't lead people who have differences of opinion. Nobody is going to lead if Everybody who's behind him is uniform. Uniformity there is not the ideal. The ideal is leadership and people conceding to leadership. And that's where the raham comes in. So the raham is when the ummah is together as a group, even though they have differences. Not that they all have the same opinion, which is humanly impossible. You can't have the same opinion because your understanding is uh, disparate. 
and your ability to understand everything the same way is also you're not wired that way so you should not have that uniform uh, kind of policy that everybody thinks the same way yeah human beings are made differently and the variety right is what makes human society human society as an ummah we have variety we have people mashallah from you know the far east and they they dress differently they eat differently they speak a different language their customs are very different and you have now people in west africa uh, who are diametrically very different from those in the east and then you have you know the african and then you have the asian and then you have the eastern european and then you have the south asian culture and expressions of islamic civilization I mean, the diversity is Allah's creation. Allah creates everything with diversity. But within the diversity, there is the unity. And what is that unity? Tawheed. What is that unity? Risala. What is that unity? Islam. And so, so how many diverse types of foods do Muslims have? I look at that cuisine. If you said all Muslims must be united, I don't know which type of cuisine you're going to unite upon. I'm definitely not going to eat spaghetti. Right? And you guys, you might I like burgers, but I'm sure people in uh, West Africa, they're not going to eat burgers. That, that, the idea of cosmetic unity, it is ridiculous. So the unity must be in spirit, must be in Tawheed, must be in the Risala, must be in belief in the Akhir, must be in that Islam is the only solution to the world's problems. That's where the unity is, in the macro. In the micro, we tolerate, and as I said, we celebrate difference in opinion, and that's the way Allah wants it. So that, that is how we see it. Allah's rahmah then is expressed in the ummah when the ummah realizes that, yes, okay, I have a difference in opinion, I don't need to hate you. That's the rahmah. But if you say my opinion is the best, and because it's my opinion, therefore I hate you, that's kufr. That's not Islam. So you have to come to terms. I may disagree with you, that's fine. Whether it's policy, whether it's anything else, that is semi-academic, pseudo-academic, who cares? You can live together if your intention is to keep the ummah together. But if your niyyah is to disrupt the ummah, then you're munafiq. Then you don't deserve anyone, basically. So that you may be shown rahmah. The rahmah comes from the heavens, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it descends upon people who want to see the ummah as uh, one, as united, as much as possible. Within reason and within human abilities and capabilities. So this is a, the, the, the surah is about the adab. Uh, how Muslims should behave with the Prophet how Muslims should behave with somebody who gives you a false report and how Muslims should behave when they're fighting each other so these are adab of Surah Al-Hujurat and you will see so the last one inna that believers are all brothers amongst themselves and that is how we see the shi'ar of Islam that when we meet each other we always say assalamu alaikum which is another civilization value. And we always say it in Arabic. We don't say it in the language that we speak. That never changes, and you should not change it. Don't say peace. 
That's idiotic. And you don't say peace. What's peace? As-salam is Allah's name. Peace? What is that? <laughs> that that's a, what you call post uh, human rights jargon. The human rights narrative that uh, the Enlightenment thinkers had in America, they have this jargon called peace. We don't say peace, we say assalamu alaikum. We're saying Allah's name. So Allah's name now comes down from beyond the arsh into the dunya when we say assalam. When we say peace, diddly squat happens. Nothing happens. When you say assalam, you're reciting Allah's name. Assalamu alaikum. That's how now we should seek the unity of Muslim brotherhood by remaining brothers and sisters together as one unit, as inshallah will be one unit when we enter Jannah. Anyway, we'll stop here since we have mashallah, quite a few guests. We'll stop here for this week. There's no to see you next week as I will not be. Hopefully, I will be here in town. Jazakumullah khair. Subhanallah wa hamdi. Subhanakallah wa hamdi. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah.